Ruinar is the world's oldest champagne house. With the belief arts can enlighten and connect us, Ruinar gives carte blanche to leading contemporary artists every year to pay tribute to the Maison's legacy. This year, French artist Ava Jospin. As part of the carte blanche programme, Ava Jospin imagined an artistic and sensory encounter, offering her vision of the terroir of Maison Ruinar. Like a cross-sectional landscape, the site of the Montagne de Reims appeared to the French artist as composed of different geological and temporal strata, real and imaginary. Ava Jospin is passionate about the richness of this region and the know-how transmitted there. From the underground world of the Crayeurs to the roots and interlacing vines. From the coronation of the kings of France in Reims Cathedral to the ennoblement of the Ruinard family under Charles X and from the conversion of the old chalk quarries into cellars to the Maison's expanded commitment to supporting biodiversity. Promenades, a series of drawings, sculptures and embroideries, invites each of us to immerse ourselves in this landscape, as if plunging into a mysterious story, intertwining the cycles of history and plants, life and creation. It is on show now at Freeze London in the Ruinard Art Bar until 15th of October. Welcome to Talk Art Live, where as part of Ruinard's partnership with the Serpentine, we're recording from the Serpentine Pavilion, designed by French architect Lena Gottmer. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. That's right, everybody. It's a Talk Art Live. This is the start of Freeze Week in London, which is very exciting, and we are here at the Serpentine. How are you feeling today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling like a rambler. Oh. I feel like I'm on an epic walk, uh, a journey, perhaps, or even a promenade. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but this isn't necessarily a journey where I know where I'm going. It's not, not, not a narrative per se. It's more open-ended than that. Wow. And I think it could be like uh, walking in my mind almost, a kind of psychological journey. And today's guest has inspired this thought. And right now we're actually sat in the Serpentine in the most incredible pavilion by um, French architect Lina Gottmey. And it's really quite apt because today's guest's work um, often references trees as a central theme and um, this pavilion itself is actually built out of one type of wood and it's low carbon and it's also referencing the canopies of trees the way that sunlight can um, often like you get that kind of dappled light and I really love these kind of cut out elements around us so it feels like the most perfect place to meet you today. <laughs> yes it's the perfect location. Yeah it's super beautiful and um, you can hear the birds as well around us. I love hearing birds. So nature is a massive um, influence on today's guest and they make a lot of their work out of one material which is very simple it's cardboard and it's something that every single one of us here in the audience everyone listening today will have probably a daily interaction with the material but there is a transformation that takes place because of great artists like yourself um, who are able to transform materials and take it somewhere completely new so um, we are really excited to be partnering with Ruinar today to discover the journey that the artist we're going to meet has been on with Ruinar going in the vineyards. There's a really beautiful video online as well where you actually see um, the crayers, which are the chalk kind of caves underground, and all of the vines. 
vines. And I was really struck by the beauty of the depth into the ground and the kind of networks underground that you'd never really think of um, when it comes to, you know, the grapes that actually make the champagne. And I was really into that kind of almost like science fiction kind yes. of element to like wine Like a fairy making. tale. It's magical, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. So we are very proud to welcome the most extraordinary talent, Ava Jospan. <laughs> Hello, Ava. Hi, Ava. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being I here. I can steal a lot of things you said about my work with, with my <laughs> answers now, so thanks a lot. It's really helping. What does it feel like to be in London today? I'm very happy. The weather is uh, sadly beautiful, so... Yes. It's very said. happy, Sadly happy, beautiful. sad, isn't it? Yeah, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's scary happy. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's dive straight in about this medium of choice that you, you've been using, which is cardboard. How did cardboard come into your practice? Were you a kid, were you a kid that sort of played with the box and not the toy <laughs> at Christmas? No, I guess cardboard is a very present element in any studio. I started with one year of ar architecture bef before doing fine art school in Paris, Les Beaux-Arts. And we use cardboard, like, but usually we use cardboard to express an idea and it's like a temporary form to help to understand what will be the de definitive form of it. And my practice changed when I used it as the final material and not a transitory one anymore. So that was like the first step, using the cardboard as the final material. And I started with uh, newspaper pictures and I was like working with layers as I did with them um, for a long time now with really like layers giving a depth into the, into the forest. And I was doing exactly the same, analyzing the, the images and giving like each, uh, each layers of it. But the two first picture I choose had a forest in the background. Ah. And so I did a se several work like that using the cardboard I was finding in the streets. They were kind of big, but not big as the work I do now. And, and of course, I wanted to remove everything and go directly in the forest. So that's what I did. And I started with a piece that was like more or less three meters by three. I didn't even know how long time it would have uh, taken me. And uh, I worked on this piece for three months. Only one, so that was not very productive, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're full of details. So, and that's how I started. And when was I you did still this, a student at this point? This is when you're still studying, or after no, no, you graduated? No, no, no. I was already out of uh, fine arts school. I was, uh, uh, I think it was like maybe five or six, six years, maybe five years after five. I finished. When I finished fine arts school, I started doing exhibition in Italy, in a little gallery that opened. And then I had two, my two kids. Uh, and so I was in a period that was very interesting because in a way I was absolutely lost, you know. So that's a uh, forest when you're lost is a good topic. Yes. R really. So. I was really drawn to the <laughs> psychological element of the forest as well because I feel like I've heard you describe your work before as not being this fixed narrative. It's a very open thing in a way. Like the installations for each uh, viewer, they can activate their own... Um, and interpret their own kind of story in a yeah. way. And that deeply psychological relationship as humans we have to trees and particularly to forests. Yes, absolutely, because uh, it's, it's really like a, ve a very interesting topic for a lot of reasons, of course, but it's, it's uh, like the, the, um, 
the, the theme of forest is layered as cardboard and also as the way I work because you have so many interpretation. So one of them was for me at the time when I started being a young artist. I was a young artist then. And, uh, <laughs> and being lost, you know, and, and like what the, the contemporary art have opened for artists is open at 360 degrees. And what is going to be your direction? Is it going to be performing art? Is it going to be conceptual, narrative, figurative, abstract? Uh, I don't know. There, there, I mean, there's so many roads on the table, you know, on, in front of you that you, can, th that you can use and you don't know which one. So that was the, this idea of what is your path in life, but what is also your path as an artist? Like, what is going to be your journey and your road and, your, and something that is going to be very personal and, and very uh, particular. So that was like the first thing. But then of course, there was also 15 years ago now, this, uh, this feeling that, that uh, slowing down the, 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 the practice, like working on a piece for three months because it needs all those details to get lost in it. And also, um, Going back to the nature and to the kind of free space that it gives you, uh, it was also very archaic in a way, you know, like going in a forest and there's nobody inside because you are, you uh, inhabit the forest and so there is no animals, no birds, no human and it's really like you facing yourself, you know, in a way. So it was lots of things like that. And at the same time, so I believe that uh, in a lot of moments in history of art, I'm very passionate by grotto as well, by the grottos, you know, by uh, the, the underworld. The grottos, yes, yeah. Yeah, and, and especially like the baroque one, and uh, that were made in garden, those, those fake grotto, those folies, I love that absolutely. Why, why were they made? Why were they a thing that people had? Well, actually, I think it's also because at the time, uh, there were like some, they were trying to understand better the underworld and they had like some new uh, interest for geology. And the same thing for us with trees and, and forests, because it's a time where also the science is going very quickly to understand better uh, a world that was quite unknown, actually, like the way things communicate, the way it grows, the way we, mm. we are talking, we were saying that the, 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 the plants are talking, they're not actually, it's not exactly the phenomenon, it's not talking, but you know. <laughs> they're in conversation. So there is a conversation and, and there is a lot of things you can, you can read, you can, um, and you can uh, understand. And I guess like it's, I don't know if you think, we are going far away, but if you think of uh, the, the futurism movement, is also related to the craziness of the machine of the, the time, you know? So I think every time you have something moving in the world and a new knowledge brought by science, artists are kind of also taking it. So I guess it's not only by chance that I was driven to this subject because at the same time, and I didn't know it first, but then I realized that there were, there were so many new things and new knowledge about this environment, so it's Did you like interesting. fairy tales growing up? Because when, when <laughs> I think of grottos, I think of Santa's grotto, which you go to as a kid, which is like these little caves you sit in on Santa's knee. I don't think you're allowed to do that now. But it's, <laughs> they were like really magical when they were, as a kid, they were really enthralling. Is there something yeah. about that sort of 
the mystery and folklore and yes there is it's a little bit the fairy tale it's also doing like um like to push your 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 children your childish game uh, in an extreme way because yeah. of course i do it in, in a very extreme way because it's long and it's very detailed and it takes me a lot of time so it's really like not stopping creating uh counter worlds you know and I guess like the idea of forest or grotto, those topics that are so important for me, is also like in, in our imagination uh, places you can you can hide in. You know, oh, you right. can hide there. And in a way, I think are they safe places though, or are these places? Because uh, these, these they're can not be quite totally threatening safe, at actually, times. Because yeah. it's it, but when you when you hide in your imagination, yeah. Uh, you can think of things that are more frightened because you are safe. So it's safe to think of danger. In, a, in front of a fake forest or a fake grotto, yes. it's very safe to convoke the, 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 the dark forces, you yeah, know, because yeah, yeah. nothing's going to happen. And that's why we need imagination. And I mean, it's the story of theater. It's the story of, of, uh, of uh, novels and, and movies and video games also where killing people. You know, it's places where... Those things can happen because it's it's not gonna happen in real life, and I guess I was at the beginning when I started this work. In a way, I wanted to to have a place of my own, you know, and and to to invite people inside my world, but not I was not totally comfortable with the, <laughs> the world that was around, and I guess a lot of artists create because they something is missing for them, you know, so they are trying to create a place. Or work where they can inhabit simply, you know. So when you finished this project, there was three months. After that, did you feel like Eureka? I've hit on something. This uh, is yeah. After that, I did another one and another one and another one, and people were kind of worried for me. <laughs> <laughs> so they were saying, "Are you gonna do cardboard forest for the rest of your life?" And I and, I, and yes, and, it's yeah. been nearly sixteen yeah. years, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know, but I have, I have very, I don't have a lot of ideas, and and every idea, it's at least three months to do it. So you see, I can, yeah. So no, but um, so yeah, I started doing this, and I wanted to do just bigger, 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 bigger. Yeah, because they're monumental. We women, we also yeah. want to do things bigger. So right. yeah, and and then I uh, in uh, it was in 2016, I did a pavilion. Me too. Uh, in the <laughs> Cour Carré du Louvre, in the Louvre in Paris. Wow. And it was, uh, I was like working on the, on the panorama because I'm fascinated by this form that was invented in England by a certain baker who invented the panorama. So there was this architecture with light on the, on the ceiling. Yeah. And it was like a 360 degrees um, a painting, but huge. And there were pavilion. And you could get inside and and uh, and see a 360 degrees uh, painting, which was most of the time a battle or a sightseeing, like the but Bay you'd of Naples. You'd sit in a barrel. No, no, or... it was like huge, uh, and you were getting from uh, under it, and you were on a platform. And around you was oh, wow. this painting. Did you say it was invented by a baker? Yeah, it was invented in England and then became totally popular. And it's something that I also love. It's a very, it's an object that is, uh, has a foot in different world because it's uh, like a lunar park 
it's a pre-cinema, considered as a pre-cinema, yeah, yeah. but it's also using uh, tricks like stage design, and yeah. it's also fine arts because people were really painting those things, you know? And it was also, at the time, as I said before, for, other, uh, for the forest, a moment where uh, we understood better uh, the eyes, the human eyes, and the, the, I don't know how to say that in English, but the focal, you know, the... The focus. focus. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this was more clear, and the idea to, to uh, exaggerate the focus, which is also uh, in the perspective. So it's the periphery, and it's challenging. Exactly. Like, yeah. So it was really, like, uh, created to impress. And they started doing those panorama at first in England and then mostly in France, and then it became totally hysterical and panorama were everywhere in the world. And I love this because it's forgotten. It was big. When some panoramas were seen by two million people. Can you, it was like Euro Disney uh, of, of the wow. 19th century. And so I like this, this, uh, this kind of, uh, of work because they also have, they combine architecture, they combine artificiality, they combine a lot of things. And the, and the object is very strange and it's, it has a food in a lot of different uh, places. So I like that. It's really interesting, this idea of technology as well, because that's a, at the time, that was a really adventurous kind of technology yeah, that advanced, then gets it? Yeah. You know, out, outdone by the next generation. But now, you know, we've moved on very, very far in technology. But looking back at it now, it's not only just nostalgia, but there's something really quite magical about the craftsmanship and the kind yeah. of passion that's that's put within that. Yes, absolutely. And in the in the Carte Blanche of Runard, I'm also showing a, a, a piece called Carmontel, and yes. it's a tribute to a painter. Actually, he was a painter, and he was also doing a lot of gardens, and he invented this way to show uh, some little drawing that were painted also, uh, with light be beneath it, and you could like just scroll it, and you see a landscape moving, you know? And this is also considered as a pre-cinema. So, and I like a lot, like, this Carmontel or, or panoramas also, grottos, because you had, like, a lot of also technical things in the grottos in the Baroque, because you have, like, water. Um, uh, if you could, like, if you walk somewhere, then the water is gonna... Uh, splash. Grow, yes, yeah, splash. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's nice splash. splash. Okay, yeah, yeah. we'll use that word. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so there there were like some technical jokes in those like a theme garden. park, I guess. Yes, like you exactly, go around. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wow. And uh, and so I like that because I really love when everything is still more in the mechanic. You know <laughs> that you will have the effect with machines more than. Uh, than uh, technology, yeah. and, uh, and I'm interested in this this world when it's uh, still done this way, and not yet uh, technological. I love that. And in your Carmontel that you've made for Ruinar, um, it includes different mediums as well, because I, I know you make a lot of ink, um, Indian ink, like drawings. Yes. So you have that element to it, but also embroidery. Um, yeah. features within it as well. And it's such a beautiful thing, bringing together those different textures and materials. Yeah, but I mean, because people were so concerned I was doing only cardboard forests, so I had to change something. <laughs> you had to challenge you know yourself, you know? yeah. I was like, don't worry for me, it's fine. I'm going to do something else. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm mixing all those... Uh, those well, this to, to go back to the Carte Blanche, that was like... The Carmontel was really like the centre of the yes. work. 
and um, um, it's really like a drawing um, that will be explored and, and will have some metamorphosis. So the drawing become embroidery, become a forest, become a sculpture, become other drawings. And there was this idea that you have like a line uh, um, giving the, yes, the, 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 the whole theme of the carte blanche. And then there will have some transformation and some metamorphosis to it. And, and to show how a work can move from a medium to another. And there was also this idea, very simple, very, a very simple guideline is that, uh, that the champagne is, is starting with a very simple product, which is the grape, you know, and I work mostly with cardboard, which is also very simple. And from that, with transformation, you will just drink a very, very, very tasty champagne and a, in a beautiful bottle. So there was this idea that it's really like steps that move from a very simple thing to something more, much more elaborated. And there's also a very fascinating thing with time because we don't really know when we started vinification. And now, I mean, now some people say it was like 5,000 years ago, and now they say maybe 10,000 10, years ago because archaeology is also uh, finding new traces of, of uh, vinification. Mm. And so it's, it's also this thing, and that is very present in my work, that I, I never, uh, there is no nar narrative in mm -hmm. my work, mm -hmm. because most of the thing we have around us is, uh, we forgot it, like the story is forgotten, mm. but the gesture hasn't, is never forgotten, because you can, you can give the, the you can, uh, I, don't, I, I don't know how to, to say that in English, to tr uh, transmit, like to, to... Transmit, yeah. Yeah, you can transmit a gesture, like vinification, and totally forgot when, when it started, because this is the story. I, I was really intrigued by um, your interpretation of when you visited the vineyards. I saw a really beautiful film that you made um, talking about your relationship to the Ruinart-like um, vineyards. And you were saying that each year they can't really predict what the crop will bring. And that actually it's this incredible science because each year they might have a different set of... Um, grapes or, or, or ingredients in a way. And then they have to use the science to actually make the champagne that year. So it's not just the same thing every year, it constantly no. evolves. But actually it's not science they're using. They're using a very, very clever people and very good palate, you know. So it's, uh, it's more than that, it's like human more human. Skill. Yes, yeah, it's yeah, human yeah. skill. And what I like is that, of course, in my work, if you see my work, you see that, that repetition is something that is very strong and also that is a part of the work, you know. And in the vinification, it's the same thing, because from different, which each year uh, the harvest is different from the other one, you have to create uh, a champagne that will taste the same, you know. And so I like this idea that from something different, you have to create the same. Mm. And at the same time, you have also the Don Ruinard, which is absolutely the contrary. So that you will... You will uh, each year there is a new harvest, and some of them uh, you have to predict they are more incredible than others. And this will be a good year for Don Ruinard, and there will be only this year, you know. But you can also be wrong. So that's amazing, you know, because Don Ruinard is also something incredible, and I think it's been elected like the best champagne in the world now, and it's very good, really, really, I love it. So, uh, you know, so f you, you, you have to choose what is exceptional 
And you have to adapt with a lot of different things to create the same, you know. So I, li I like this, you know, mm. and it's interesting. And, um, and so, yeah, and so the journey and the, the, the promenade I did around, around Rina was, uh, was very interesting because I, I didn't know a lot about, about uh, the way it's done. And I really like the fact that there is a lot of step of transformation, and I felt very, very, uh, uh, yeah, it was very similar to to the way I work. Well, yeah, the steps and the layers. Exactly. I'd love to talk about the process of your yeah. work. So these monumental pieces out of cardboard, how do they begin? Because I've read that they you work in stacks and then you just basically carve into them. No, 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 no. I, 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 we cut. Uh, we, I say we because of course I can't do it alone anymore. Yeah, so you work if with a team not, as well, I would right? Not even be talking to you. I would be like cutting in my, <laughs> in the studio, twenty-four hours a day. So uh, no, actually, uh, no, no. It's each layer is cut and then assembled and glued. Oh, I see. And then but I... But did you, when you began, though, did you ever stack it and then sort of carve into it that way? I carve it, but it's more, you know, it's really... Um, I mean, the thing is that what the sculpture is, like, taking off to go to... Um, it, there is a different kind of sculpture because if it's stone or if it's clay, it's all, all, all is different. But I will try to create the shape of the sculpture and it's layers by layers, so I can't carve in it. And then when the, the, the form, the shape of it is done, I will work on the shape and I will send it, cut it, add things, and transform it, you know? So it's just that it takes a little bit more time to have the shape, and this is like the first step of it, and then I will work on it again, but I don't really carve. I do, I cut, I have a lot of uh, different tools. kind of tools, but. I can't cut for very deep. So if I want to have a shape that is very deep, it has to be cut by, a, we, we work a lot with an electric jigsaw actually. And so it's really like layers by layers. That's why it's so long to do it. I love the idea of power tools in yeah. art. It's so cool. We have a lot of tools. It's so nice. There's I some don't great have photos of you in your studio with, with all the machines. I love it. Yeah, um, I love it too. And also, when I was a kid, I was really obsessed with coins and the way that it would have that kind of bas relief. So we, we obviously had the Queen's face back then in the 80s um, and the kind of depth of, of field within, like even in vision. And it always makes me think of your work. That explain kind of what bas, bas, yeah, explain yeah, what bas yeah. relief is then. What is bas relief? Well, actually, bas relief is not really my work because bas relief is a is a is a, a sculpture that is uh, that is uh, on a flat. Uh, how can I say? Plane. That? Plane. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, and my my work is more uh, high relief. Yeah. High relief. Because uh, we say haut relief in French, so I'm, I'm guessing it's the same in English, yeah, but yeah. I'm not sure, so we'll see. <laughs> uh, but it's really like the fact that you have a flat, like you have a frame, mm -hmm. and then you add, uh, you add um, layers on the frame. So that's the, what, what I do. It's uh -huh. called haut relief. And bas relief, it's the same. You will have a frame. It's something you can hang, yes. and it's not three-dimensional. Uh, but it's like something in between bi-dimensional bi and three-dimensional because mm -hmm. it's sculpture, but at the same time, it's, it's, uh, it's flat and you can hang it on a wall. So, so they it. end up being quite heavy, these objects? No, no, not too heavy. That's fine. It's cardboard. <laughs> and when you started with the cardboard, did it at the time feel like something that was like for budgetary reasons, for money reasons? Yeah, yeah, it's of a course, of course. Yeah, nice. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so 
when I started, actually, it was also a time where I wanted to completely change my work, and I wanted to start working in a bigger, bigger scale. And for, for, I changed my studio at that time, and I arrived in a new studio, and all the work I was doing before in this studio was like really like, you know, I don't what, know. What was like, it? What, what material was, was you using? Uh, I was doing paintings, drawing. I right. did a fiberglass uh, sculpture, but I was allergic to fiberglass. So no I way. said, okay, this is like the worst the worst in the, yeah, the, of the world. I can't, I can't yeah, use no. this material. Yeah, yeah. So, oh yeah. And, uh, and so I arrived to the studio and I wanted to change the scale of the sculpture. And I started working, but I was like, you know, asking for, uh, for a pro form. I mean, I was asking around like, okay, if I need to do this structure and I, everything was in the laptop actually. And so I feel very frustrated and I wanted to use a material that I can, could transfine anywhere. Yeah. Uh, uh, that is absolutely, uh, it's, I mean, you have plenty of them, you know, it's like there's too much of it actually. And, uh, and that you can transform and you can start right away. And I thought I would transform the time for searching for people to help me or money to produce. This time I would use it just transforming things. So it was the same time, like three months to find a way to do a work or three months to just do it every day, you know. So that was really like also something that gave me a big liberty because there's always this idea as, and I was a young artist at the time, I didn't have a good gallery, I didn't have like, I didn't have support for the, at that time. And I thought that it was so important to understand that we artists, and as not as a lot of people doing art, we can do it in any condition, which is not the case for a filmmaker, for example, or an opera singer. I mean, it's you know, there's like mm. some some arts needs needs a structure around, mm. and there's like some form that can be done everywhere, like writing, for example, but also drawing, painting. It doesn't matter, the material, you will find it. That's why cardboard was, for me, like a, a great freedom. Like, nothing can stop you. you the ma material is everywhere. You can find it. And it's the what you do of it that is important. And it's not doing it in bronze or whatever, or ceramic, and you can't do it because have you, you don't have the money. Have you ever been pushed towards that? As a gallery said, right, cardboard's great, but we want to get a bit more money in. <laughs> Should we push this towards bronze? Should we make this out of gold? Uh, we love the death of art. Yeah, we, did, uh, we, we are selling a lot of pieces in gold in, in China right now. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, no. No, well, yeah, of course they have to, they have, the galleries have to, to explain but we also, in a world where, I mean, uh, you have work with uh, coffee, uh, grease, uh, uh, you have, uh, I mean, the, 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 there has been a way to, to use uh, material and a way to, um, how can I say, uh, to declassify what is, uh, what is precious yes. and what is not. <clears throat> and this is the history of art, you know. I came after a long time of people and artists and great artists doing a big transformation about the material and trying to say this, this classification is not, uh, is not relevant, you know. So I, I came after that. 
so it was easy. <laughs> I, I heard you speak about this um, painting kind of description, which I think is repente in French. Like, ah, le repenti, yeah. Yeah, repenti. Um, and I was really struck by that, because when you're making work, you could, even if it's installed, you might still add to it yeah, or yeah, still yeah. correct it almost or, 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 or dig in deeper even. Um, can oh, yeah, you speak a bit that. about that as a concept? Because I'd never heard that before and I loved that. Oh, but it's very famous. I mean, it's very in, in, famous. It's a word that we use in painting in France. Yeah. In the French, uh, yes. And so repenti is when you paint and then you will change what you have painted. And in, 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 for painters, this is called repenti. Uh, and so I like this word. And, uh, and I use it because it's true that the, the cardboard is always like, you can always change everything. So in any and in every installation, usually I, I change things, I add things, I do modification, and it and I could work only on one piece actually and just like add things to it, but I, I'm not doing it. But it would be possible. So now I have this exhibition in Palais des Papes in, in Avignon, mm. uh, and uh, and then the one of the pieces that are shown in the Grande Chapelle in the big chapel there. Uh, I totally changed the inside of the work for this installation. It was not this way before. So it's, it's true that every context is bringing something new to the work and it's really, really nice. I can do it. So you, you, know? do, that with, you do that with older works? <laughs> yeah, a lot of them. Not, not too much, but it's true that uh, like sometimes people have... Um, they, they will uh, let me have a piece they bought yeah. to exhibit it. And, so it's and then you just try it. <laughs> well, you hear stories of artists that there's works and then they've gone to the collector's gone, it's damaged, can you repair it? And then it comes back a completely different work. Yeah, and yeah, they're like, yeah. what it is this? Happen. It like, I didn't happen. like it, I didn't like yeah, it, I wanted yeah, to change yeah. it. There's yeah. a story of one artist who went to a collector's house and um, during the dinner party, he distracted the collectors, got them to go to the kitchen and then he actually added drawings onto the, onto the work on the wall. And he'd always wanted to do it, and that was why he organised the dinner. That's so nice. Yeah, I like it's hilarious. That. It's really cool. Yeah. So this show, Palazzo, this is the one you were just talking about. Had yes, it, exactly. It, and that's currently up now. That's on till January next year, so people yes, exactly. can go to Avignon and see that. Very long exhibition. And these are these are monumental. Most most of some of them. I mean, you have very very small works too, and bronze. I did a. Bronze. Oh, there is a bronze. Yes, okay. there is one. And uh, yeah, so it's really like a conversation with the architecture of the Palais des Papes, which is the biggest Gothic palace in the world. Oh, really? Yeah, I knew it because I'm doing an exhibition there. I didn't know <laughs> okay. it before. You didn't know it before. Yeah, okay, exactly. And, yeah, because um, Gothic is a, a great word for your work as well. I like, yes, there is some Gothics. Uh, you look thrilled. Also, <laughs> yeah. uh, you look really happy about the word Gothic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I can do like the, we don't use this in French, so Gothic, you know, it's gothique, different. Okay. So. And so, uh, so this exhibition is, um, is really a conversation with the architecture. So you have like two chapels, very nice. And in those chapels, I did like very small sculpture that are a grotto and in fail, exactly. And uh, because I wanted the people to see the, the paintings, you have very few paintings that are still on, in the palace. And those chapels have, have a painted wall. And so this is not a place where you are big and, and you, and it's the, the place where you, you make a small conversation, a presence, but mm. people can still see everything in the chapel, you know? So you have like very small work some, in some places. And then you have um, the big chapel, which is uh, it's, uh, 50 meters long by 15 meters uh, wide. 
So it's huge. And there you have, uh, yeah, you have big scale sculpture. And the, the highest one is uh, 10 meters high. Mm. And the longest one is, I think, uh, 12 meters or something like that. Do you think of an audience when you make these works? And do you, do you like to invite people to interact in some ways with the bigger scale works where they can walk inside them, for example? Oh, uh, yeah, some of them. But, uh, like, for example, the central pieces in Palazzo, you could walk inside it, but I had to change everything because there's too many people. I mean, it was not safe because right. you, if you create something for a lot of people, and there's a lot, a lot of people going to, to uh, Palais des Papes, it's like uh, uh, had 800,000 people going there, you know, each year. So it's really, like, a uh, big, big... Uh, big, a uh, lot of public, and so it was not safe to let them go inside. But yes, I, I did it in the Musée de la Chasse, I did it for, for, for this panorama, because you were inside of it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, love, I love when it's immersive. I also did a, a real grotto in a garden, so, and you can go inside. Yeah, yeah. I have cardboard. No. No, it's uh, concrete. concrete. Concrete, yeah. And in, in that grotto, I really liked the, the way that you've got the man-made kind of grotto that obviously you designed, but then you have the wildness of nature and how these two things are, are, are connected somehow and they're almost like not battling each other, but I think nature would probably win if you just left it. Totally. Um, <laughs> but I, I love that tension that's there and it's almost referencing back to those Italian kind of Baroque... Yeah, Gardens it's, a, a it's something that is still always more important in my work to, to, um, to mix nature and architecture because um, uh, I'm trying to do... Uh, it's a fantasy, and the fantasy is uh, also very referenced, refer, referred to, uh, to the folly in architecture that are form that I really love, as I said before with the panorama, because it's very uncertain. So I love the uncertain forms because it's not sculpture, it's not architecture. Because you have, um, it's, uh, you, you're not supposed to live in it, to go inside of it. And so it's just like for the pleasure of the eyes, but it's mm. real architecture at the same time, you know? Yeah. So I really love the folly in architecture. There's very great follies in England and some fake grottos with shells, incredible. So it's a very big thing here. Too. We have one and in Margate where I live in the seaside, a yeah, shell grotto, yeah, from the Victorian it. times. Yeah. But they, they say they don't know when it was made, but I think it was made in Victorian probably. times as a kind yeah, of tourist probably, attraction. Probably, yeah, probably. but it's amazing and you and go And you inside. know that they were also like hiring Hermite, uh, uh, paying them. Who? Really? Yes. Hermits? Yes. Um, what, people yes. to live in them? Yes. Paying them to live in them? <laughs> yeah. For why? In England too. What wow. just as part? Yeah, of, like, yeah. There the is a story of a guy. Of... He was living in London, and then he he was like thirty years old, and he moved to a huge park in England, and he was not supposed to talk to the to the Lord, and to the people, and he like had his uh, hair growing, and he stayed for two years. He was paid to be a nermite. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like a nice job. <laughs> Can we talk about the? Um, the carving that you made for the bottles to sit yes, in, which absolutely. looks like a little grotto. They're really kind of cute, and it has all the cardboard layers. It's really beautiful. There's one here for people who are actually in the room, but can we talk about how that idea came about? Because there's also something as well that I feel like with cardboard, the enemy of cardboard is maybe moisture, water. It's okay because it's... Um uh, actually, it's moving, but it's uh, going back to where it was before, you know. So it's just like, it's, li it's a living material. So yes, there oh, is wow. humidity, it will move, but then it's fine. It's, uh, it's okay. It doesn't, it's not a big problem. But for this bottle, the idea was to, uh, 
to to well to use like the form of the bottle as a reference to the crayère because if you look at the crayère in, in Reims, they look like a bottle actually, and they're the contrary of the of the open uh, carrière carrière where they yes someone helping. Quarry. Yes, quarry. exactly. Right. That are, it's it's really like a reverse pyramid, and it's exactly the contrary in the crayère. It's like a bottle because they just enlarge uh, on the on the bottom, and it's really straight uh, uh, at the top. Yes, on the top. So it looks like a bottle, and I wanted to use the bottle to to make a reference to the crayère, and at the same time, if you take off the bottle, you will have this shape of a little grotto of a little crayère, but at the same time, it's also uh, the 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 content and what it's uh, it and it's also holding the bottle like completely. So that and the crayère, for people who don't know, is the area where the bottles are stored. Yes, exactly. Sorry about that. Yes, yes. it's uh, it's. Uh, it's uh, something very nice I discovered because it's very famous, uh, but I never been to a crayère before going to uh, Ruinard. And uh, so it was those, um, those, uh, those places where they were using the, uh, I don't know the what. The chalk, it? isn't it? Exactly, yeah. yes. the chalk. And it's very interesting too, because if you think of, uh, we, we are talking about, of course, of uh, sustainability, but it was like, a, a major thing with uh, reuse, you know, because yeah. after they couldn't use the shock anymore, they couldn't. They, they they realized it was like the best place to to put the, to to be a cave because it's the perfect temperature. Mm. Yeah. So all the the house of Champagne started not all of them but some of them and Ruinard, which is the oldest maison of Champagne in in in, in Champagne. Uh, started to st store the the wine in the crayère. Uh, as the best cave in the world, you know. But when you go inside of it, it's really an incredible places that I really love because it's close to one of my obsessions, as I said. It's not only forest, but also the grotto. So you're like this in underworld, and you have like, like uh, yeah, it's a network. It's huge, and you can get lost inside. And so, Did yeah. you sign the walls? No. I oh, you it. haven't. I had the most artists when they go there for the carte blanche, they sort of sign in the walls. No, Strigley did it. I David Strigley did it. I don't like to do that. Oh, okay. No. Leave it. Leave it. <laughs> what, one of the things. No, I, I mean, like this idea <laughs> to put your name everywhere. I, I don't really like that. But do you sign okay. your works? I always forgot, and then I'm like, oh, God, I have to sign it. Because <laughs> sometimes they send it back because it's, it's not, not signed. signed. Yeah. <laughs> How big is your team? That you work with? It's it depends because I have like a, a, a little team that is the the heart of the studio and we're like four, but then when we have to do bigger project, I will uh, have uh, more people working with me and some that have been working for for several years, but they come back, they do other things, and then they come back to be part of the team. And strangely, it's uh, only girls, but it's not one of my choices. It's just like. Most of the time, uh, the people who want to come to the studio and work with me are girls. So we're a girl team. Great. Cool. Yeah. Girl power. And how long does it take for a work? Obviously, it depends on the scale. But how long would you determine for like a project to happen? A project for, to happen like be, before like drawing and then... And then uh, it depends. It's a forest, or if it, there is a part of architecture. Because if, if it's um, there is more architecture, you have to 
to do the structure, you have to understand exactly how it's gonna be. It's gonna uh, work together, so it's longer. So it's uh, yeah, it's between I say between five and three months for the biggest big bigger uh, sculpture, well, and a little bit less for the other one. And what is your favorite part of the process and your least favorite part of the process? Uh, the, my favorite part of the process is like when everything is done, it's already huge. <laughs> and then I am like on, um, on a, come on, the, uh, a stair and, uh, and I will just put one leaf on the butt. And then I have the feeling that this is the thing that will achieve everything, you know, and it's so, but everything is already done. So it's really like the, the cherry on the cake. I, li <laughs> I like that. I really love that. Satisfaction. Really, like, okay, this is done. And your yeah. least favorite, what's your least favorite part uh, the process? The least favorite is that there is a little bit of uh, repetition and boredom, right. but it's also something beautiful because when you are uh, able to, to, uh, to have like repetition and boredom in everyday life, which is everyday life too. And if you integrate this to your work, it's a, it's a great thing actually, because it's a huge solution. You integrate it and in a way you, you, you liberate yourself from it because it's a part of the work. So it can't be only adrenaline and, and uh, inspiration. Mm. So if you have this everyday thing, which is a little bit boring sometimes, but boredom is part of life. So I, I, I take it and I use it as, uh, as something to, to, uh, to you build the, you the work. It, yeah. Yes, I embrace it. What is your favorite tool? Because there's a lot of shaving. It's the cutter, yeah. The cutter, the yeah. big cutter. Yeah. And do you, you use that with the goggles on? And... No, the cutter, the small one, the blade, you know? Ah. Yeah. I cut with a, a blade. Right, right, yeah, right. I'm very good at it now. Yeah. <laughs> no, you look good. Yeah, yeah. Great. <laughs> um, I heard a friend of mine, Ez Devlin, was doing a talk the other night with Hans Obrist, and she was talking about trees and how she suddenly had this realisation that even though at school she'd learned about our lungs inside us um, function in exactly the same way as a tree does, and that's the reason we have all those kind of um, branches within like our lungs. Yeah. And, stuff, and yeah. that it suddenly struck her that even though we all probably knew that from biology class, um, we sort of forget it, that how connected we are and that we are also operating the same way that trees are. And even if you think about this pavilion that we're sat in right now, the I, yeah. I, there's a lot of discussions at the moment about climate change but also society sustainability. Um, is that something that you've thought about within your work? Because I feel like yes, your yes. work often reminds me of nature. Yes, I did. I did. But the thing is that what I mean, I'm trying to, I think it's absolutely important to understand and to, to be concerned about the way we make things. But this cannot be the subject of, of everything. I mean, ecology and nature can't be the subject of each piece of art because if not, we're going to die with boredom. <laughs> and we need to talk about love. We need to talk about, I don't know, war. We need to talk about a lot of other things. Crazy, yeah. I don't know. But the fact that you are concerned by the way you make things is an obligation. So I think it's fine if we think of the way we build the world, and we need to. It's, it's, it's an obligation we have, and it's not perfect. I'm not perfect too, because when I cast, for example, the materials are not really great, you know? So part of the work is, is okay, it's totally sustainable. 
and some some other stuff are not you know and i'm, I'm i want to be very honest because i'm tired of the the greenwashing in a way yes. so we need to be very clear and very honest with what uh, what we do so that's why i say that it's not it's it's part of my work it's one of the subject but it can't be the only one because if not i mean it's really boring and we talked about we talked about myth, we talked about... No, we didn't talk about myth, but we took, talked about and fairy tale. Tales, we talked yeah. about roto architecture, we talked about pre-cinema. There are, like, so many things to talk about when you talk about my work, and I hope so many things to talk about about the other works of other artists. And if it's only saying to the people, don't cut trees, it's bad, I'm, I'm dying of boredom, you mm. know? I don't want that, you know? And so that's why it's important not to be too too moral about all those things and and to be conscious that it's the problem is the way we make things that's the problem it's not exactly it's not only what the what we say it's more the way we do it so if each artist is like trying to to create in a better way mm. it's it's going to be it, it's going to be better but it doesn't have to be the subject of their work that's mm. what i mean it can be mm. and for me it's a part of the work of the work but it can't be... The whole work, uh, yeah. No, if not, we're, it's, it's too much. Amazing. Well, we're going to get into our final questions now. This has been enchanting, like your work. Um, <laughs> the first question is, if you could do an art heist, you could steal any artwork in the world for yourself, what would it be and why? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's not easy. That's not easy. I think there is, a, um, there is an Odilon Redon painting, a woman in the, in the water, and she has, uh, she's closing her eyes, and she's like surrounded by water. It's very close up. I love this work, and I would, I would steal this one. Have yeah. you seen it in the flesh? Yeah. Where is it? I don't know, because I've seen it in an exhibition, and I don't know where it is right now, you know, so I've seen it in an in, 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 in exhibition. All right, we'll get so, you that. So, yeah, I have to locate where it is. It to Let steal us know, it and then first. we go over that's and pick good. it up. Yeah, that's yeah. very practical. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... Yeah, you're right. What, what artists were you inspired by, actually, like, when you were studying or even now? Are there, are there artists that are kind of heroes to you or have helped your progress? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of... It, a lot of them, actually. I was I was really inspired by a lot of painters, uh, a lot of Nabi painters, also like Villa or Bonin, those those painters I really love. I was also very 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 inspired by Italy and by 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 Renaissance, by of course, and the the artists that was that were very important to me too were artists that were doing, uh, working on the materiality, like, for example, Eva Esse yes. or Robert Morris or all the, the anti-form artists. They, they were a very big influence, too. Not because I worked the same way, but because the, the thought and the, the, the reflection they had on material is really, like, a concern for me, too. So it's a mix of a lot of different influences and for different reasons, because, for example, uh, Bonnard and Villard came back in as an influence with the embroidery, because the embroidery is very big too, and uh, and I use a lot of colors, so I had to to have a uh, to to think about colors again, and that's why I was still uh, looking at them at that time, you know, and I'm still looking at them now. And that leads on to the next question: What is your favorite color? <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm against favorite things and top five. I, I, I think it's sad to choose one thing, you know, so no, I don't have a favorite color. It's uh, not brown, no. 
No. <laughs> <laughs> Cardboard brown. <laughs> Cardboard brown is my favourite No, but favorite if you see color. the embroidery, uh, there is some embroidery at the Palais des Papes. It's the, in, in, in the embroidery, there are like 140, 150 colours. Wow. wow. So you see, I can't pick up one. And, and you I, do those with a team, or are those kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, I do that with a team, right. actually, yes. Absolutely. And I, haven't, haven't you worked a lot with, like, haute couture kind of um, embroiderers did, and, like, yes, fabric? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I've been working with them since uh, 2021 now. Yeah. And that's such an amazing tradition as well. Like, oh, I, yeah. I love uh, the artisanal nature of that incredible. whole industry. Yeah, it's incredible. Yes, yes. And we're, we're preparing very nice things. I can't oh, talk about yet, but oh, it's going to be great. Yeah. One thing you can talk about quickly, maybe, is that you're working on your first stage set. Is that correct? Yes, <coughs> exactly. It will be starting in, uh, in Théâtre de Vidi in Lausanne, which is a very nice theatre over there, and then come back to Paris. And it's a young director called uh, Nina Negri, and it's an adaptation of the, um, the Philip Roth novel, uh, American Pastoral. Oh, yeah. But she's uh, on a very eco-feminist uh, point of view. So, I'm, 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 yeah, so it's uh, totally different because the, ca- the main character of this book uh, is uh, a father. And the, his daughter, it is in the 60s, she, she became a terrorist and then she became a Zionist, you know, so... This is a very interesting book because it talks about a lot of things that are very uh, contemporary, uh, mm. about the feminine violence, about the ecology, and about what are the good reasons to use violence, you know? What, if it is, is there a good cause, you know? And so we're, we're still there. Mm. And, and the, the project of the play is to give back the, 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 the speech to this girl, and actually she will imagine this girl talking so it's a counterpoint to the to the book inspired by the book but giving back the voice of the girl so it's one performer yeah and this is your first set design exactly well your work lends itself to the theater perfectly doesn't it what is the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your work uh i i didn't have a best advice because what it's the same thing i mean when I had like advices for the work, it, it's always I think it's always nice to have advices because there's the one you follow, and there's the one that makes you uh, stronger because you understand you shouldn't follow them. You know, so advice are good because advice, sometimes yeah. people said you should do smaller things, and I was like, no, I'm gonna do bigger things. You know, <laughs> and you should, you know. So it was always nice because I think all the advice, in a way. Uh, is something you will re- re- you will think about, and you will understand if you should follow it or not. And and this is like something that makes you stronger because if you understand that this is not a good advice for you, in a way you're already it's already good, you know, because you you know what you're doing, and that's the most important thing. So the best advice you've ever received is bad advice. Yes, absolutely. I guess too. I guess it's true. I guess the best advice is where the the advice I didn't follow and I understood I shouldn't follow them. Yeah. Given by great people, of course. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) You have to trust in yourself (laughs) as an artist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. If we can get a round of applause. Thanks a lot. Wonderful. And um, uh, for everyone listening, you can find images on at Talker on Instagram. I don't think you're on Instagram, are you? 
I tried to find you, but I couldn't. Um, no, but your galleries are on there, Continua. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And uh, Marianne, Marianne Ibrahim. Ibrahim, who's an amazing gallerist. Yes, I love her programme so much. Yes. Um, and also, uh, with Ruinar, you've, you've been, um, I think, to like something like 20 art fairs. The work um, has been taken all over the world. So you'll also be able to find um, Ava Jospin's work this week at Freeze London in the Ruinar Art Lounge which Absolutely. we're very excited about. And you might even be able to see the, um, the beautiful presentation box as well, which is a stunning thing, actually, as a piece of art as well. So we will be back very soon. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, 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 everyone. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.